Hello, this is Pastor Matthew. I just want to take a moment personally to say thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. Our mission is to impact the valley and bless the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We encourage you to go check out our website at crosslinkva.com. By doing so, you can learn all about the ministries of Crosslink and how we're involved in the community. Please know we're praying for you. God bless you. This morning, I am glad that you're here, and I want to ask you today, if you would, to take God's Word and open it with me to the Old Testament book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 32. Here at Crossing, we began last week a new sermon series entitled, Have You Lost It? Have You Lost It? If you were here last week or watching even online last week, you know that I began with a sermon illustration about my wife purchasing a really nice pair of Birkenstock sandals right before we went on a five-week cross-country trip this summer. And we got these sandals. She got to wear them a few times. We took off on our road trip and everything was good until our vehicle began to get cluttered. And we got cluttered and we took things in and ultimately we got all the way to San Diego, California before we realized something was missing. And that is my wife said, hey, I think we've lost one of my sandals. And I said, I didn't lose your sandal, you know? And, and I was convinced it really wasn't that big of a deal. Surely it had to be in the vehicle somewhere. But frankly, it took us two and a half more weeks to finally get all the way back to Virginia to realize somewhere between here and San Diego, we had indeed lost her Birkenstock sandal. The fact of the matter is, that's a petty, simple illustration. But the truth is, in our life, it is so easy for us in the midst of the clutter, in the midst of all the different things, in the midst of all the noise of the culture, the debates here and there, in the midst of all the issues, for our lives to be cluttered. We take in all these different things, and many of these things become a distraction from the main things of God. The question I'm asking us to consider is this. Have we lost sight of the glory of God. In your life, in your marriage, in this church, in your family, have you lost sight of the glory of God? To speak of God's glory is to speak of his beauty, his power, his majesty. It's to speak of his weight. That is to say his worth and his value. The fact of the matter is if we are focused on God's glory, it will literally impact every aspect of our life. But so often we get busy, we get distracted, and we lose sight of it. The question I'm asking is, have you lost sight of God's glory? Now, today as we open God's word in Exodus chapter 32, I want to preach to you on the subject, direction for those who've lost it. Direction. What is God's direction for those who've lost it? See, many of us, when we hear that question, have we lost sight of God's glory, frankly, we reveal that we are a much better judge of others than we are of ourselves. In fact, many of us who are believers say, we hear that question, have we lost? And we say, absolutely not. I mean, after all, I'm at church on Sunday, right? No, I haven't lost sight of God's glory. I mean, I serve occasionally and I do this or that. And we quickly justify ourselves. We don't realize the seriousness and even sometimes the simplicity and the evidence of how we lost sight of God's glory. I was reminded of that on our sabbatical trip. We all know, unless you've been living in a cave somewhere, that we've been dealing with a pandemic for the past year and a half. Over the past year and a half, we've all learned about this coronavirus, and we all know some of the symptoms and some of the signs to look for, and, and, and I'm not immune to that. Like, I, I understand, and in fact, as I've watched certain signs and symptoms, I, I've really kept a close eye on my family because many of us in our family have asthma. But when we began our sabbatical trip, we, we left Virginia, we went through Tennessee, we went to Texas, and having asthma, one of the things that I deal with, just as a, 
natural part of my life for that matter is, anytime I'm in different climates and atmospheres over even just a short period of time, it affects me. If I stay in a hotel room more than a day or two, I begin to have minor cold-like symptoms. That has been true my entire life. We began our trip, we made our way to Texas, and about our second day in Texas, I began to notice what I'll just call a minor cold-like symptom. I won't tell you the details of it because I don't wanna gross you out, all right? But I did, it was just a minor cold-like symptom, not that big of a deal. I deal with this all my life. I, I'm just, I'm, in my mind, I'm not really concerned about what's going on. We leave there, we go to Arizona, we go to the Grand Canyon, 9,000 feet up, and man, it's just beautiful taking in God's glory and God's creation, it's incredible. We leave there and we go to Phoenix, Arizona, where when we arrived, it was 119 degrees. If you're, if you're not a believer at that moment, I'm just telling you, when you're experiencing 119 degrees with God's blow dryer right in your face, like as a believer, I'm like, thank God I'm not going to hell. I mean, it, it is hot, okay? <laughs> and, and, and we're in Phoenix for like a few hours and I'm starting to feel dizzy. And so I'm looking up my phone, like, what is this elevation sickness and what are some of the symptoms? And so it's easy for me to look over it and, ah, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I've got this cold-like symptom, a little dizzy, nothing to worry about. We go to San Diego, California. We, we put our stuff into a, a, a room. We, we go to a baseball game and it's an incredible time. And, and frankly, I wasn't taking it seriously until we went to eat hamburgers I, in fact, I got this huge, this, this burger was so big, I could hardly get it in my mouth. And I took a bite and instantly knew something was wrong. Because I'm chomping down on what Diners, Divins, and Drives has said is the best burger in the West Coast, and I can't taste a single thing. I flip the burger upside down, I take out this huge chunk of onion, and I'm like going to town on this thing like it's an apple. I'm you know, praying, God, please let me taste this thing. I couldn't taste a thing. And then I began to be a little worried. Went back to our room. What are all the signs and symptoms of coronavirus? Very next morning, my wife's running high fever. Can't, she's been sick twice our entire marriage and she can't get out of bed. And then we began to drop like flies. What I'm saying to you is that it wasn't until that moment where I couldn't taste, where something was a crisis, if you will, where I really took serious, what are the signs and what are the symptoms and what's going on? And kids, what are you experiencing? And what do we need to do? It wasn't until then that I began to call a family member who had recovered from COVID. It wasn't until then that I called a nurse and said, okay, here we are. We're, we're completely across the country. What should we do? Well, my hope and prayer for us spiritually is this that it will not take us getting to a place of absolute crisis mode for us to stop and examine what is God's direction for those who've lost sight of his glory? How do we recognize it in our life and what would God have us to do? Exodus chapter 32, would you stand to your feet for the reading of God's word? We're gonna begin reading in verses one through nine and then we're gonna pause and come back at the end to the later verses. The Bible says, now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, come, make us a God who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. All the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. 
So the next day they rose early and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. The Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshiped it and have sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, they are an obstinate people. Let's pause. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and lives today. Open our eyes where we've been blind and soften our hearts where they've been hardened and may it all be for your glory and praise. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. We'll pick up with our text later on. Please keep your Bibles open in our time together today. This morning, as we look at God's direction for those who've lost it, I want you to see two primary points in this pastor's scripture. Number one, I want you to recognize what to watch for. What to watch for. I knew some general knowledge about coronavirus, and frankly, many of you at times have had it, and I've prayed for you, and, and, and I've learned a lot of things. But it wasn't until I personally was in a moment of crisis, if you will, that I began to recognize what should I be watching for. It wasn't until then that I began to take serious that what I was dealing with wasn't my normal cold. What I was dealing with wasn't elevation sickness. It was something far more serious than that. Well, God looks at his people in Exodus chapter 32, and he says, listen, I know you think you're living for me. I know you're claiming a fast or a feast in my name, but I want you to know you've lost sight of my glory. And we see that in four primary ways in Exodus chapter 32. And as we discover them this morning, I hope you will examine your life and ask yourself, is this true of me? Does this describe my life? Have I lost sight of the power, majesty, and worth of God in my life? Four evidences this morning. Number one, those who've lost sight of God's glory rush ahead of the Lord. Those who've lost sight of God's glory rush ahead of the Lord. The Bible tells us here in verse one something very interesting. It says that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain. If you remember from last week, we were reading in Exodus chapter 24 where, where God had, had spoken to Moses and Moses went to the people and he read the book of the covenant and the people responded and said, yes, we will do all that God commands. It was in essence them looking at Moses and saying, listen, we are nothing without God. We know that he loves us. We know that he's the one who set us free from bondage in Egypt. We know that he's been the one caring for us and leading us all of the way. So whatever he calls us to do, yes, we will do. Moses, of course, leaves their presence. He goes up onto the mountain to meet with God. God's presence is still manifest through the clouds and through the thunder and the lightning. But guess what? It's been 39 days. It's been 39 days and God hadn't shown up to give them clear direction. It's been 39 days, frankly, and the people have lost sight. Oh, they could see the presence of God, but they couldn't see what God was specifically wanting them to do. And in their impatience, they rushed ahead doing their own thing. Psalm 106 verse 13 says it this way about them. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel. Let me ask you a question this morning. Are you waiting on the Lord? In that business decision and that relationship that you're pursuing and the choices that you're having to make in the context of your life, are you full steam ahead or are you pausing to sit still and recognize that you need the Lord? Many of us go through life so quickly and frankly so ignorantly that we never take time to seek God first and his kingdom. We're all about our own kingdom. There are others of us instead, we, maybe we're a little bit better than that, that we'll come to God and we'll ask God for direction, but frankly, instead of waiting, we're still full steam ahead. 
I was reminded of that earlier this week as I was thinking back in my life of an illustration of not waiting on the Lord and the consequences it can bring. And I quickly remembered what happened in my life when I was 16 years old. Many of you heard, have heard the story of how I, I got my license when I was 16 and I had a little bit of a heavy foot and I got a few speeding tickets, but you haven't heard about the first car accident I ever got into. 16 years old, I'd had my license for all of about 60 days and a buddy of mine and I went to some stores because we were looking for some shin guards before we started our soccer season. And I'll never forget we were leaving a particular store and I was in a lane to, to go straight and I realized in that moment, I need to be going right. And so I, I looked and I didn't see anything, but I had a big blind spot in my car. And so I asked my buddy, hey, is it clear? Can, can I get over? Is it clear? But in my flesh and in my hastiness, my impatience, I didn't wait for the answer. So you know what I did? Without waiting, whoo, Right? What I didn't see or know was in my blind spot was a brand new sports car that was speeding up into the right lane. And so that beautiful red sports car got a beautiful green streak all the way down. I got a free paint job for me, you know? The thing I didn't know in that moment was the person I had just sideswiped was the most famous DJ in all of Montgomery, Alabama, Hot 105 radio station, who for the next 30 days would tell everybody, not my name, thank God, but about the pipsqueak who was 16 years old that had sideswiped them, right? It was embarrassing and costly to say the least. You know why? Because I was impatient. I asked, but I didn't wait. How many times in our life do we basically make ourselves our own God by not even looking to God for direction? Or we do, but when God doesn't answer the way that we want or answer the way that we think, we, he, we're full steam ahead doing our own thing. See, what I want us to see this morning is oftentimes we look at God's time of us waiting as if it's God's punishment. But please understand, God loves us so much, he knows that the most important thing is not the answer, but it's what he's doing in our lives as we wait on him. It's in our waiting on him that God is preparing us and God is molding us and God is shaping us. It's as we wait on him that God is instilling in us our recognition that we need him, that we depend upon him, that we can't do it on our own. And that realization of our need for God is greater than any answer and it also makes us aware so that when he does answer, we are ready to move forward. Waiting on the Lord is not sitting still passively, watching paint dry on the wall. Instead, it implies relationship where we study his word, we seek his will through prayer, and surrender our will to his. Often in life, every single one of us are pressured to make hasty decisions, but the wise person stops, seeks the Lord, studies his word, surrenders to his will, and waits on his direction. The person who walks with God knows that walking in haste is not walking in health. We need God, and so we gotta come before him and wait on him. Please listen to this statement. God takes full responsibility for those who wait on him. There are some of you today walking through situations, and some of this I know because you've asked for prayer. Pastor, would you pray for me? I've gotta make a big decision. This thing's happening, this pressure's coming, this, this, this uh, you know, decision's already being made from, from people who are above me, and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Here's what you do. You seek the Lord, you study his word, and you wait on him. God takes full responsibility for those who wait on him and he promises his goodness to those who do. Lamentations 3, verse 24 and 25. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the person who seeks him. 
Isaiah 40, verse 31, God gives strength and he gives endurance. He even gives speed to those who wait on him. Isaiah 64, he works on behalf of those who wait on him. Psalm 147, verse 11, he shows his goodness and his favor to those who wait on him. What do the Israelites say? Nah, we don't need it. God, we got this. We're tired of waiting 39 days. I realize that waiting in our culture is difficult. We've got all these gadgets and gadgets and to help simplify our life. We've got everything literally at the touch of our hand. We can feel like conquer the world. We can do whatever we want to, instant gratification. Just push the button and it does as we command. But when it comes to God, God doesn't do as we command because he alone is God. We humble ourselves before him. God, what would you have us to do? One of the first signs that we've lost sight of God's glory is that we rush ahead without God. Secondly, those who've lost sight of God's glory rely on man, not on the Lord. Those who lose sight of God's glory rely on man and not on the Lord. Notice what happens in verse one. There's something that frankly was very subtle that had happened, but it was so serious And frankly, I'm convinced in our culture today, yes, even Christian church culture today, we are guilty of doing the same thing. Notice what the Bible says in verse one. They go to Aaron, they say to Aaron, come, make us a God who'll go before us. Listen to this. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. See, along the way, remember, Moses was God's messenger to the Israelites. Eight different times in the book of Exodus, he's back and forth getting the message from God and delivering it to the Israelites. But somewhere along the way, something devastatingly wrong had occurred and they didn't even realize it. And that was this. Somewhere along the way, the Israelites had begun to focus on the man, Moses, and not on God. See, in this moment, they can still see the manifest presence of God. The cloud is still above the mountain. They they know that God is there, but they don't say anything about God's presence. Here's what they say. We don't know what happened to Moses. Now, now I'm not being harsh here, but, but don't you know if God had raised up a man in Moses, God could raise up another man. Don't they know that regardless of what happened to Moses, whether God had taken him home or whatever else, don't they know that God was still God? He was the one actually leading them? Somewhere along the way, they had put their focus on man and not on God. But the Bible tells us loud and clear in this moment, what they're showing us here is this, their primary ambition, their primary zeal, their primary focus, and I would dare even say the focus of their worship was the reality of we're looking to Moses. Moses is our leader, and they lost sight of the fact that their lives are to be lived for the glory of God. Listen to what the Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 19 and 21. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their savior who had done great things in Egypt. What what I want you to see loud and clear this morning is this. It does not take long to forget the Lord when he is not the center of our focus in the first place. Oh, but we, 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 we wouldn't do that. Listen, I'm telling you, in our culture today, in our human flesh, Every single one of us are prone to look for little gods by the people around us. Oh, that that would never happen in the church. Sadly, many of us, like the Israelites, do the same exact thing even still today. 
But I want to remind us this morning, only God is perfect and holy, righteous and true. Only God is worthy of all adoration and praise. Why? Because only God can save us. God says in Isaiah 42 verse eight, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another. And yet we are so content to try to find a substitute savior. Many of us perhaps, hopefully you don't do this here, but many of us perhaps will look at a pastor, for example. We'll put, our, we'll put a pastor on a pedestal and we'll say, oh, well, that pastor's this and that pastor's that and this message was this and this message is that and this is how he is and oh, he's my pastor. Without even realizing, oftentimes we put pastors on pedestals that they do not deserve first and foremost, nor do they even want. And then when issues happen, when they make a wrong decision, when their humanity is exposed, when, when, when they fall morally, oftentimes it's not the fact that we begin to question the pastor now, we begin to question God himself. There's a whole movement of people who are deconstructing in their faith. Because they look at these failures and they look at this humanity and they say, man, something really must be wrong with Christianity. Something must be wrong with Jesus. Without realizing what is wrong is often not the fact of a problem with Jesus or Christianity. The problem is in their own heart. Somewhere along the way, they settled for a focus on man and not on the man, Jesus Christ. But please understand, I am no one savior. My wife will tell you as such. There's only one who's perfect, holy, righteous, and true. There's only one who gave his life on the cross for you, and his name is Jesus. You put any other man on that pedestal, and I'm telling you, he will disappoint you because he is not to be our focus. Only Jesus is. If, if you were to ask me what would have been the most difficult season of my life in ministry since God called me to preach years ago, I would tell you without question, it was the 12 months that followed God's calling for my family and I to come here. Not because the ministry here has been difficult, but because when God called us away from Christiansburg to Harrisonburg, thank God there were many who continued to walk in the faith and there were many who continued to worship Jesus and there are many that, man, God raised up to leaders and it's incredible to see how God's working so many lives. But there are some along the way that I thought were following Jesus that I came to the sad realization within about 12 months, they weren't really following Jesus. They were following a man. And the evidence was seen in the fact that they began to make decisions that were not glorifying God. They began to live immorally and choose their own path. There were some here at Cross like that. They were here and they were worshiping God. There was the appearance of it. And then when God called Pastor John away before he called me here, there were some today, they've deconstructed in their faith. The reality is it's exposing the fact that they were not following Jesus. They were following simply a man. We now do that with pastors. Listen, we do that with political parties and candidates. Oh, if this person was in office. Oh, if this party was in office, then we'd be saved and we'd rescued. We wouldn't be in this mess. But the challenge therein is, is that when we get to that place, we begin making compromises. Compromises because we begin endorsing things that we know that are wrong, but we justify it because they're our savior. This party and this person is gonna save us. So we overlook the things that we know God has spoken against. We even do that in the context of our spouses. I cannot tell you the number of, 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 of single individuals who are getting ready, hopes of getting married, and they think, you know, listen, this is my struggle, and I know this is an issue, and I need God's help with it. Yeah, but you know, when I'm married, I'm not going to have this struggle anymore. My spouse will complete me. Listen, 
You are complete only in Christ or you are incomplete. In that moment, what you're saying is, when I get married, my spouse is gonna be my savior. And then you get married and you're six months into marriage and the honeymoon's over and you're gonna come and you're my, my spouse is human. But I, I see their fleshly nature and they're, they're sometimes selfish and they don't do what I thought they were gonna do. What you're really revealing in that moment is you were looking for a person to be your savior and all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's only one savior and his name is Jesus Christ. Every other substitute will fall short in your life. So we gotta recognize that when we begin to rely on man and not on the Lord, it is a clear, sure, fast sign. We've lost sight of the glory of God and we have put an expectation oftentimes on others that was never warranted in the first place. Third, those who lose sight of it reflect the ways of the world and not the Lord. Those who lose sight of the glory of God reflect the ways of the world and not the ways of the Lord. I use the word reflect in the sense of what is on display the things that we think about, the things that we spend time and energy on, ultimately will come out, it will be reflected, displayed, if you will, in our lives. When you and I focus on man, it is not a long step to bring us to a place where we begin to take things into our own hands. And that's exactly what's happening with the Israelites. They go to Aaron. Moses is up on the mountain. They, st they still haven't heard back. They're impatient. They're going their own way anyway. They go to Aaron and say, Aaron, make us a God who's gonna go before us. Wait a second, the living God of heaven, Jehovah, has been providing for you, has delivered for you. He's been leading you along the way and you're wanting a man-made created God? I think Aaron's under a lot of pressure in this moment. He looks at them and says, all right, now take all your gold jewelry out of your ears, bring it all to me. He throws it in the fire and he chisels out a calf. Now, let's just be fair and honest about it. And I've got nothing against cows and beef, okay? But who in their right mind would ever think to bow down to a calf? It's foolish. Like, like, I don't know about you, but I'm reading this and I'm thinking, all right, make us a God to go before. Sure, it's gonna be this grand, huge thing. Oh, it's a golden calf, right? It seems so strange. Where did they get this idea? The truth is, it doesn't seem strange when you understand the context for what's going on. Where had they just come out of bondage from? Egypt. They had been in Egypt for over 400 years. Amongst many other things, guess what Egypt is known for? They're known for their idols and false gods. In fact, today we know of over 2,000 gods that they worship. And all of them were gods they made out of created beings in the sense of they had the God of the sun, the God of the moon, the God of the stars, and they worshiped the animals. Whoa, what an interesting concept. In other words, even though they'd been set free by God, even though God was leading them, even though God was feeding them, even though God was giving his message, even though God had this relationship, covenant relationship with them, here's what's happening. They have allowed their heart and their mind, their affection and their attention to go back to the things of the world. The Bible tells us loud and clear in Acts chapter seven, listen to these words. Our fathers were unwilling to be obedient to him but repudiated him in their hearts and turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods who'll go before us. For this Moses who led us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. They were called to be a holy nation and God's chosen people. And yet in the hardness of their hearts, in this moment, here's what they're doing. They're turning back to the things of the world. Oh, these things will satisfy. These things will bring pleasure. If we only had a God who'd go before us. 
and they completely lost sight of their relationship with God. Can I just say to us loud and clear this morning, when you and I get to the place where we begin to focus on man instead of God, we quickly begin to substitute and all sorts of things. The fact of the matter is today, their hearts were turned back to Egypt. Like a dog returns to its vomit, like a freed man turns back to his prison cell, like a sober man turns back to his drink, the people turned their hearts towards Egypt and did what all the other nations of the world were doing. They built a false man-made God of worship. Instead of worshiping the one true God, they settled for a false God. Instead of surrendering their lives to the true God, they made themselves their own God. Here's my question for us today. In what ways does your life reflect the Lord Jesus Christ? And in what ways does it reflect the world around us? In what ways is it clear that you are a new creation in Christ? Or in what ways does your life demonstrate that your heart and your affection are still set on the old you? Does your private life bring glory to Jesus? Or does it look like the rest of the world? Does your speech reflect Jesus? Or does it look and sound just like the rest of the world? Do your social media posts and messaging point people to Jesus? Or does it look just like the rest of the nonsense that we're seeing in the world? The reality is the Bible tells us in Jeremiah chapter 17, verses nine and 10, that the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately wicked. Who can understand it? And listen to what God says. I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Listen, we come to this place sometimes in the context of church, we come outwardly looking at what we've done and are proud of ourselves, patting ourselves on the back, hey, I've done a good thing. But the Bible tells us God is looking at the heart. The question for each of us is this, is our heart fixed on him or is it fixed on other things? Finally, what to watch for. Those who've lost it, lost sight of the glory of God, replace relationship with religion. Please understand, the Israelites had turned away from God and they didn't even know it. They didn't know it because they convinced themselves that their outward practices were pleasing to God. But God is not pleased by outward practices that do not come from the source of our inward devotion to him. So, so notice what the scripture says. The Bible says that this golden calf comes out and they said, verse four, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Now, when Aaron saw this, he's like, oh, back up, back up, back up for a second. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow will be a feast to the Lord. <laughs> Picture this. They have built a golden calf. They have literally said, hey guys, this object that was just made, this is our God who delivered us. They're completely making a mockery of the name of the living God, Jehovah, who had spared them, who had rescued them, who had set them free and was leading them forward. I'm completely rejecting the name of God. And yet Aaron looks and says, okay, okay, okay. Hey, we've got this golden idol now. So here's what we're gonna do. Tomorrow, we're gonna have a feast of celebration to the true God. It's like basically what they're saying is, you know what? We can develop a religion upon how we feel, stamp God's name on it, and God will accept it. Oh, that would never happen in our culture today. Pastor, we would never, we would never do that today. Really? 
Truth be told, I think it's a lot closer than we want to admit. How often have we justified something because we felt a certain way about it? As opposed to what God's word says. Let me give an illustration of this. And and I'm not being harsh, not trying to be mean at all. And and maybe it's an extreme example, but it's what quickly comes to mind. I'll never forget first becoming a pastor many moons ago. And and, and I knew there were several ministry partners that we had partnered with. There was a specific missionary that we supported. And I asked several questions about this ministry because I didn't know this individual. And I, I had probably been a pastor for about a year when I was informed this missionary had left his wife and his children, was having an adulterous affair, but he was continuing in ministry. Struck me as odd to say the least. I'll never forget the first time I I reached out to him, we made plans, he was coming back to the United States, we scheduled a visit, we sat down together and and I asked him, so so tell tell me, just to make sure I'm understanding this right, this is how you met this individual. This is how you, this relationship began. You left your wife and children, and yet you're continuing ministry. How do you reason with this? I'll never get his answer. He said, well, pastor, he said, you know, I've prayed about this a lot. And I feel like God has given me a second chance at love. God's given me a second chance at love. So, so you're telling me that God's second chance of love allowed you to justify this adulterous relationship to leave your wife and children and yet you're still proclaiming the message of the gospel while you're living in this relationship. Yes, because I feel like God gave me a second chance. What I'm saying to you is this. He had developed a religion that was based upon his feelings, not upon the authority of God's word. See, the authority of God's word, when we let God's word speak to our heart and life, when we let God's word be the lead, it's not about law to beat us down. It's about bringing us to a place where we need him. It's when God's word exposes the sin in our life, when God's word exposes the fact it's not about my feelings, but it's about his word and his truth. It brings me to a place where I realize I'm a sinner and I'm in need of grace. And it brings me to a place where I humble myself, repent of my sin, turn from it and turn to Jesus. The reality is, is that in our culture today, it is so easy for us to develop religious practices and forsake relationship with God. Here, what's happening in this moment, loud and clear, is that the Israelites, oh, they're still busy. They they bring the feast. In fact, the Bible says early in the morning, they start bringing sacrifices, which mean, if it's important enough to you, you can get up early in the morning. Early in the morning, here they come. They're bringing their sacrifices. They're, they're eating a feast, man. They're enjoying it. It's awesome. They feel good about it. And then the Bible says they get up and they play the music. They sing and they dance and, and it looks awesome and everybody's excited and it's popular and it's a great show and everybody feels good about it. It's awesome. Woo-hoo. But something was missing. You know what it was? It was the presence and glory of God. God hadn't given them that instruction. God hadn't even given them that permission. In fact, while all this is going on, Moses had no clue. God has given Moses instruction and direction. He looks at Moses and he says, Moses, my people are a stubborn and obstinate people. This is what they're doing. And by the way, a lot of times in our life, we think we've got everybody fooled on the outside because outwardly all the emotions and all the work is being kept up. But God is looking at the heart. He knows what's real and he knows what's not. Final thing I want you to see is this. Signs that we've lost it are all these things. 
We've rushed ahead of God. We're relying on man and not on the Lord. We've replaced relationship with God for a dead, lifeless religion. Final thing I want you to see is this, what to do when you've lost it. I mean, my family and I literally could not be further from home when we began to realize we were extremely sick. And when I realized that I was sick, frankly, I couldn't find out fast enough. What do we need to do? What medication do we need to take? Who do we need to see? What do we need to not do? Like, and I, I'm telling you, I wore out a sheet of paper writing like 90 miles an hour. I didn't want to miss anything. I probably annoyed my children like every four or five hours. What are you feeling? Is this any better? Are you still having the symptom? You know, like dad's a broken record at that point. Why? Because I realized that it was a time of urgent action. Some of us today are realizing that we've lost sight of God's glory and it needs to bring us to that same place of urgent action. What do we do? Three things. Number one, remove the idol. For time's sake, I don't have time to go read all of the verses. I wanna encourage you this week to read verses 15 through 26 at least. But listen to verse 20. Moses comes down off the mountain. I, I think he experiences a righteous anger towards the sin that had occurred. But listen to what the Bible says in verse 20. He took the calf which they had made and he burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water. You know what Moses is doing? He's getting rid of the idol. You wanna be a place where you're right with God? Here's what you do. You examine your life and where there are idols. An idol is anything in your life that has taken your focus and devotion away from the Lord. An idol is something that divides your love and devotion to God. So here's Moses. Moses immediately comes. He knows this idol is a distraction. He knows this, this idol is something that is stealing the devotion to God. And so what does he do? He takes it and he absolutely destroys it. There are some of us in our life. We have things in our life that have become idols. Either they themselves are sinful or they're leading us to places of sin and we need to get rid of those idols in our life. There are some times where there are even good things, gifts from God in our life that become idols that it may not be a permanent dismissal, but we need to put them in their proper place so that God is first and foremost in our life. Remove the idol. Secondly, repent of sin. Listen to what happens next in verse 20. The Bible says this, he scattered it over the surface of the water and he made the sons of Israel drink it. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? I don't want to drink any of that water, Right? Please understand, this isn't, there's other times this happened in the Old Testament. This is a visual image of the people of God accepting responsibility for their sin. In other words, this, this, this idol, this thing that's been broken down and destroyed, it's been scattered. And by literally taking and drinking of this water, they're in essence saying, I'm not passing the buck. I'm not making excuses. I'm not condoning this anymore. I'm not walking out of here flippantly like it didn't really matter. No, I'm recognizing I sinned against God. I'm the one at fault. It's a picture of repentance. I'm not gonna justify it. I'm not gonna point the finger at others. I'm gonna stand before God and say, God, I am the one who sinned. Third thing you do is this, you return to the Lord. Verse 26, the Bible says this. Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. You know what Moses is doing? Moses is drawing a line in the sand. And here's what he's saying. I know we've sinned. 
I know we've done wrong. I know we've lost sight of God's glory. I know we've rushed ahead. I know these things have been wrong. But God is a God of grace and a God of mercy and a God of faithfulness. And right now is an opportunity. I'm drawing the line in the sand and whoever is for the Lord, now's your opportunity. Come to me. You know what he's saying? He's saying you can't keep living the way you've been living. It's time to declare who you're devoted to. Closing statement and we'll be done. Verse 30. On the next day, Moses said to the people, you yourselves have committed a great sin and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. The word atonement here is describing a reconciliation. Nobody's arguing here the fact that God is holy, righteous, and true, and the people had hardened their heart and had gone their own way. They had sinned against him. Moses is a man who's seeking to know God and seeking to be a faithful messenger of God, but the fact of the matter is, Moses is an imperfect, fallen human being just like you and I. He knows the people need to be reconciled to God. He knows they need to be in right relationship. And so he says, listen, I'm gonna go talk to God and perhaps, maybe, God will allow this reconciliation to occur. Maybe I can make atonement for you. Truth of the matter, though, is today, we don't have to say, perhaps, you can be reconciled to God. Just, just maybe you can be reconciled to God. You know why we don't have to say perhaps or maybe, hope so? It's because we don't come to God on the basis of any other man. You, you, you don't come to God on the basis of, of Matthew Kirkland. Thank God for that. You don't come to God on the basis of some bishop, some pope, some elder. No, no, no. You come to God on the basis of one person and one person alone, and his name is Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us about him in Isaiah chapter 53. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to our own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Who's him? It's on Jesus. Jesus went to the cross, died on the cross for your sins and mine as a substitute in my place, in your place. He literally gave his life for every sin you've ever committed. He made atonement. He is the way that we're reconciled to God. So today, here's the good news. It doesn't matter what your sin is. It doesn't matter how you've hardened your heart. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter, even since you've been saved, the times that you've fallen short and have mimicked the Israelites more than you wish. What matters is today, God is giving an opportunity for you to be right with him, to know that your sins are forgiven, to know that your fellowship is restored, and to know that from your life, God is getting all the glory and praise. And that happens as we repent of our sins and return to him. And I pray you'll do that today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the ways that you speak to our heart and life. God, I confess that I need you. God, I'm so thankful for the many times in my life, even in my Christian walk where, where I've gotten busy or I've gotten distracted or maybe in my pride I've began to accept credit or Maybe in my humanity or in my impatience or just rushed ahead at times. And in your grace and your mercy, 
You offer forgiveness. You offer reconciliation. You offer to restore us so that we might be in right relationship with you. Father, you tell us in your word the key to that is in coming to Jesus. You promised, God, that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's not just because you're good, it's because Jesus paid the price for us. So God, I pray today that you would reveal in our life where we've lost sight of your glory. God, for those who know Christ our Lord and Savior, but they've lost sight of your glory, may today be a day where they repent and return to you, removing the idols in their life. God, if there's anyone here today that does not know Christ as their Savior, that in this moment, if they were to, to die and spend an eternity, they would do so separated from you. God, I pray that today would be their day of salvation because Jesus made a way for that deliverance to take place. Have your way in our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to this podcast. We encourage you to come and join us right here on our campus. We're located right next to the county fairgrounds here in Harrisonburg, Virginia. If you have any questions about the church, any question about the message, feel free to email us or call us and let us know. And we look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you.